0: Hello, America, and happy Monday, a very special day today. We've got great guests. Welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We'll be right back after hearing from our great partner sponsors, and advertisers. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's take l-e-a-n.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Always excited to have this next guest on. She is a voice of reason in the sea of insanity that Washington so often is. Former U.S. Ambassador to Denmark under President Trump and currently the vice chair of the Center for Energy and Environment at the America First Policy Institute. Joining us right now, Ambassador Carla Sands. Madam Ambassador, good to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you, John, for welcoming me. And I'm happy to talk to you today.
0: Uh, It's always great. We get such wisdom. I follow you on Twitter. You always have really sage thoughts. And, you know, it's one thing to be able to highlight the nation's problems all the time because we have a lot of them. But you're always pressing for solutions. You're always looking for a way to solve a problem that's on the horizon or, or on us right now. And I want to throw one at you. We see... Earlier this week, Transportation Secretary Buttigieg saying, hey, we started this whole EV revolution. Everybody's going to get an electric vehicle, but uh we don't have enough for the batteries. We don't have enough for the, the charging system. We don't have a way to dispose of the batteries. It feels like the Biden administration's put the cart so far in front of the side of the horse, the horse is going to crash into the back of the cart pretty soon. Tell us how disconnected the plan is with the reality that we have for our grid, batteries, supply chain, et cetera.
1: Sure, John. And just to your point about uh, how I communicate with people, I really feel like conservatives talk too much about our problems and not naming a solution. We have to name the problem and then we have to the next moment has to be what are we going to do to fix it for the working people of America? That's what I believe. But the moral, I think, of the story that you're proposing to me is that President Biden wants to continue to send our taxpayer money to China to pay them to continue to pollute more. And how do I come to that? Because everything he's proposing comes from China, whether it's the rare earth minerals or critical minerals, some people call them, in the car batteries, whether it's the solar panels. He he is conducting with his administration a regulatory result on everything. Our gas stoves, our appliances, our cars, he wants them all electrified. And for the cars running on a battery, And you're right. This is going to put private cars out of the reach of regular folks in America. And he wants to do it within nine years. Go from 6% uh, uh, battery-powered cars today to almost 70% in nine years. Can you imagine?
0: I can't. I mean, it would be wonderful. It would be doable, but it's not doable. It's not even close to being doable. No, no. At some point, this is going to, as you said, I think the most important point you make that doesn't get discussed every day, we're going to price almost half of America out of out of their next car or their next, you know, one of their next cars. What is a solution? Some people think maybe litigation. Some people think Republicans have to find a way to block it. What's the way that we can do this and get the horse in front of the cart again?
1: Right. So there's a couple of ways. And I just want to give Trump under his administration a, a nod because. During his administration, they saved the the average car price $2,200 we saved, Americans, uh, under his safe rule. So he had ways to try to save the average people money. But um, I think that, number one, we have to immediately and without delay, sue to stop the EPA from putting forward these regulations. because. The left does this really well. They sue over everything they don't like. And the Republicans just kind of go, well, okay. And we go on to the next thing. But we actually have to stop them. And so it's not just in legislation, although that is key too, and I'm going to get to that. But we have to stop them by lawsuits and saying, you are overreaching. You're not entitled. It'll go to the Supreme Court. And, and actually, there's a case there now that will be pivotal in all of this, this overreach. But then what did what has Biden done and what has McCarthy done? And it's, I think that Kevin McCarthy will go down in history as one of the greatest speakers in the history of America. And I'm saying that because he's making bold actions and he's getting his conference to go with him. For instance, last week, two weeks ago or so, they passed HR 1, and HR 1 is the Lower Energy Costs Act. And what does it do? It increases our domestic energy production. That brings down the cost. It reforms permitting for all industries, because we know that they try to do death by a thousand cuts on the left to all of our efforts to build. And America needs to be built up. It reverses anti-energy policies that have been advanced by the Biden administration, reverses them, and then it streamlines energy infrastructure and exports. It lets us sell our natural gas, and then it boosts the production and processing of critical minerals, which is essential for our national defense and our cell phones and our car batteries. So that's the first step. And then after, you might want to discuss that with me, but I'd love to talk about what they're doing right now to support that.
0: Yeah, please do. So let's take it to that next step.
1: Okay, so this week, Speaker McCarthy, with his conference, has put forward a raise. Uh, to, to, he, they're going to raise the debt limit, but they're going to restrict spending to 1% uh, per year increase. And how are they going to do that? They're going to do things like have work requirements for food stamps, you know, so if you want to have SNAP, you have to work. H.R. 1 is in there, the Lower Energy Costs Act. And I would just encourage all of your listeners, call your congressmen, call them today. This is Friday, or call them Monday. They're going to probably vote on this next week. And what we want to do is stuff yes, and it takes out that Green New Deal waste that Biden has stuffed into all of his, uh, bills that have passed over the last what about two years, and it takes that Green New Deal waste out. It also takes this, the cheating, letting off people that borrowed money for their student loans, while they make the person that bought a truck for their work uh, pay their loan back. It, it that's a cheat, and it takes those those uh, that cheat on student loans out of of their appropriations. So we want to support. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, and make sure that all the Republicans vote for this bill. It's going to take 218 votes. We need to make sure that that gets support. It's essential that this passes to stop the, the. I will just say, Green New Deal madness that the Biden administration uh, is pushing forward. Really
0: just remarkable to think about it. When we step out for the next round of negotiations involving the debt crisis, the need to raise the debt ceiling, what do Republicans need to do to show the American people they made progress from the moment that they got elected from where we've been on this crazy spending spree and get a deal that sets us on a path forward without having to create a drama in Washington? What's the key? And is it possible for Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell to get on the same
1: page? Well, you know, I think that I think that that uh, Mitch McConnell should get on the same page as Kevin McCarthy. And I hope that your listeners will also call their senators and ask them to support this when it comes to them, because what Kevin McCarthy is saying is Joe Biden is not negotiating with us, but we've put forward a budget. It's a budget that's good for Americans. It takes out all the wasteful spending, for instance, there's so much, uh, there are billions of dollars in, in the budget just sending money to leftist groups to help them sue conservative uh, groups and, conser- and, and stop conservative legislation. So there's like, there's a lot of leftist really bad stuff in those uh, bills. We want to, st- Kevin McCarthy and his conference will stop it. So will, will they get everything they want? No. But they've proposed to limit the spending increase per year at 1%. I think that's terrific, it's a good start. And if they can meet halfway and everybody gets something that they want and nobody go away uh, thinking that they want, then probably we have a great budget. I You can see yesterday alone, President Biden pledged another billion dollars to the UN Climate Fund. And this is for green energy development in other countries and it sends millions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer money to China. So rather than let developing countries in Africa, for instance, actually have their economic revolution, their industrial revolution, and and be prosperous with clean fossil fuels, which we can help them with, uh, they're holding Africa back by forcing them to use green energy principally. And so where do these billions come from? They come from taxpayers. So we want to stop the out of control democrat spending we want to make sure that american energy is actually able to be produced just i live in pennsylvania and last year this year we're producing less energy than we did last year for the first time in a long time we want to increase our energy cuz the need is increasing for our national security for our you know for our folks the price at the pump is going up again because there's pressure Uh, internationally. Well, we don't even need to feel that pressure if we just produce our own energy here at home, which we're not only capable, we do it cleaner than anywhere else in the world.
0: On this point, one of the largest and most important issues for national security going forward is something we seldom talk about in the media, at least. I think Republicans increasing our target. Certainly, AFPI has done a great job on this. The insinuation of China into our supply chain and the ability for us to free our supply chain from hostile powers, hostile influences who can weaponize it as a geopolitical weapon. Where are we in that process? How far behind are we? And what's the danger if we don't get on the schneid pretty quickly?
1: It, it's It's such a great danger. Under President Trump, we were making great strides in securing American essential items from the Chinese Communist Party's pressure. And we saw during the pandemic, the CCP threatened, well, if we're not happy, we may not send those pharmaceutical ingredients that you need there in the U.S. or we may not send the rare, you may not let you have rare earth minerals or the PPE we needed. They were literally talking like that. I mean, they are acting as if they're in an asymmetrical war with us and we are under the Biden administration not behaving like that. And you're so right, John. We have to be able to decouple the essential things that we need. If we're in a conflict with them, which I don't know if we will be, it could be there. What they're trying to do is win this war without a shot fired. They're in our kids' heads in TikTok. They're in our academic institutions. They're stealing our IP left and right, our intellectual property. They even stole the plans to the f 35 That's how devious these people are, and it's in their law that every citizen must actually do whatever the CCP tells them to do, including theft, even at work. And so we want to make sure that we have the rare earth minerals we need for our defense equipment and for our cell phones as well. We need to process them here at home. We need to mine them here at home, and it is all part of Kevin McCarthy's effort in HR1, and I applaud what he's doing. I'm so excited. And that he got that passed in the House. is very, very encouraging. And if anyone listening is in Joe Manchin's uh, state, I hope that you will call his office and say, you have to work to pass that bill, because let's let him have that pipeline he wants in West Virginia and make sure that we get um, American energy dominance back, because that's what this does. We have to counter China. China has a bigger Navy than we have at this point. They are saying very warlike language. And our president and our state department are saying things like, well, we don't want a conflict with China. We wanna have uh, cooperation. Well, they're an adversary, baby. You better wake up. And if you're a CEO and you're putting your company in China, you are making a mistake because you are aiding and abetting the enemy. They are the enemy of everything that we know is right and good. So I hope that um, we can change the minds of Amer- the American people. We can educate them that the media, the, the, uh, the uh, lying, dishonest media, that they will begin to tell the true story um, because we have challenges ahead. This is a very, very uh, difficult time. They're, they're looking at Taiwan and saying, do, you know, can we take it without shots fired or do we have to blockade? We, we can see the actions. And we need to pay attention to what they say and what they do.
0: Such a great point. The world at large, I think there's some pretty extraordinary moments in the world stage. And the one that most, I think, struck me, and it's one that hasn't got a lot of media coverage, but it really has struck me, the French signaling to China that they'd be okay with some sort of forced reunification with Taiwan. Why would Macron have that level of comfort to really diss the American interest in Taiwan?
1: The French who don't pay their 2% to NATO,
2: <laughs>
1: although they're a NATO ally. So in other words, they want us to be their, their um, security guarantee, literally Article 5, their security guarantee, but they're not paying their part, Article 3. And that, yet they're telling our greatest adversary and theirs that they're going to work with them and they're going to turn a blind eye uh, if, they, if they take Taiwan, which does not want to be part of the communist system. They are actually a democracy. They have actual elections in Taiwan. Um, so how do, I, how do I look at that? I look at that as if, if I, you know, the president should have been on the phone the next morning saying, or the next moment saying, what are you doing? What did you just say? And reading him the riot act, the fact that he said it publicly says to me, that he has no no respect for the US president or the United States and our security guarantee. I think that the next Republican president should sit down with those you, the NATO um, ally countries and say, you want the security guarantee? It's 2% minimum. Because if you're a member of a club, do you get to stay a member if you don't pay the dues? The dues are part of the deal, but they're not paying their dues. They're in other words, Just letting the American taxpayer pay for their security while these countries are paying very high uh, welfare benefits, social benefits like free health care, free college. We don't get that in the United States, but we're paying for their defense. So we're treating them like they were still the poor nations right after World War II, but they're not. They're rich country.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing that we could be so lacking in common sense on some of these policy approaches, but they're quick solutions. And that's what's so fun about talking to you, Madam Ambassador. You're always on the solution end of a problem. And I think that that's what America is crying for from its government, from its thought leaders. And it's always a great honor to have you on this show.
1: John, it's great to talk to you. Take care.
0: You as well. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JustNews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Always excited to have this next guest on. He's a former Colorado state senator, uh, Reagan political appointee, and chairman currently of the committee to defeat the president PAC. And you know what president he's talking about, President Biden. Joining us right now, our good friend, Ted Harvey.
2: Well, hello, my friend. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: We love having you on. We love your website. I check it often. www.stopjoe.com. I always I think that's a fun one to go visit. I want to start with something that happened in the last 24, uh, well, in the last 72 hours now, something I broke a couple of days ago. The revelation that Tony Blinken, now the Secretary of State, then a key advisor to Joe Biden's campaign, was the guy that instigated the letter by those 51 intelligence experts who claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation. It wasn't. But now it's a campaign issue. You know a lot about campaign law. Does the Biden campaign have a little bit of a campaign legal issue now?
2: Well, um... Certainly, you know, I don't know if it's going to be rise to the level of a campaign issue, but it certainly is an issue that tells the American people how corrupt our government is. Um, that the fact that the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop for a year going into the 2020 elections, and they did nothing, never allowed the American people to know that it literally could be a national security issue that, A former communist, a a Chinese communist government um, had given millions and millions of dollars to the future president of the United States. And they could have a situation where they could blackmail the the president and his family. Um, The fact that this new revelation is coming out just adds more gasoline to the fire that the deep state in Washington, D.C., wanted to do everything they could to make sure that Donald Trump didn't get reelected and that they were able to put in place their handpicked puppet, if you will, because they knew that he – biden was compromised and they could control him
0: such a great point and one of the things this couldn't have been pulled off if the media didn't ask the questions at the time how do you know it's russian disinformation they didn't ask that question they took it hook line and sinker and you see in the testimony that mike morrell pretty well-known intelligence guy gave you know they, there was a media strategy in the biden campaign were doing, and they just knew they had the reporters in the traditional media who would who would run with it without question. Do you think this is another moment for the media to have a moment of reflection saying, "Uh uh-oh, we got taken (laughs) to the cleaner again?
2: Uh, No. Um, The the media has outed themselves. Trump outed the media as being totally in the tank, being total propagandists for the radical left Democrat Party in the United States. And the fact that they spiked this story, that they ran with, the, the the uh 20 former security leaders in the country um to to spike this story and run their story and then uh work to spike any stories in the social media um whether on facebook or twitter or otherwise that they they are not going to change their stripes they they are leftist propagandists, and they know their job, and they did it very well in the 2020 elections, and they're not going to be remorseful in any way.
0: You're exactly right. No doubt about it. All right. I want to turn to a couple of other issues that you are always so eloquent on. Biden is going to unveil his campaign, allegedly, this week. They're not going to do it in person, not going to take questions. He's going to put a video campaign out, or a campaign video out, I should say. Is this going to be a second in-the-basement campaign for Joe Biden? Of course,
2: I mean, when was the last time he did a public press conference where the media was able to ask questions of him? Um, it, it has been months and months, and you see, you do see the media getting very antsy about that. They they are frustrated with that. Um, but, the yes, the, the, this this individual, the president of the United States, does not have the mental capacity to be able to take questions and answer them cogently, and they're going to do everything they can to keep him away from the press and keep him away from the American people and try to do what they did in 2020, which was run a campaign from the basement. This time, it'll be from the basement of the White House, and he'll have his press people taking their questions.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I want to turn to one of your famous nemesis, Mark Elias, the super election lawyer for Democrats, a man who has done a lot to use lawfare to try to change the way Americans vote. They've been hit by a complaint. I think you know something about this complaint. Tell us why this is so important, this complaint against the DCCC and Mark Elias.
2: Well, for your, your listeners, Mark Elias is part of the Russia collusion um, deal dossier that the FBI used as justification to spy on the Trump campaign and to go to a FISA court and get warrants to by on, on Trump supporters and Trump campaign workers and the pre set up the pretext for the Mueller investigation same Mark Eliasson that did all of that um, has been being funded by the the CCC, the their, the congressional campaign committee um, to do more dirty work for the Democrats against Republicans for the last uh 7 years but specifically over the last 2 years they have been paying him millions and millions of dollars to do what they filed in their campaign finance report as um election um, um uh, what what is the term that they put in there um uh, election integrity lawsuits in states where they were doing recounts but the um the fact is there are no recounts going on anywhere in the country so why are they paying this uh dirty this dirty attorney millions and millions of dollars to do election work when there is no election work what exactly was he doing for the dcc and um we want to know and so we have filed a campaign finance Uh, violation with the FEC, and the FEC has informed us that they are looking into it. I think it's interesting that just last week the DCCC uh, let him go and took him off the payroll. Perhaps they understood that we were about to file charges against them, not charges, but file a complaint against them with the FEC, and they're trying to clean their hands. But uh, there's so- definitely smoke there, and we want to figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. is really fascinating. I want to step back for a second. There was a moment in Colorado that I think was pretty dramatic. A Democrat-led legislative committee rejected an assault weapons ban there. Tell us why that was a big moment and why Democrats didn't know they didn't have the votes. <laughs>
2: they have the votes. They could get it passed if they wanted to get it passed. Um, Governor Polis who is a very left-wing um, governor for the state of Colorado, um, didn't want that bill to get to his desk because he knows that that would be political suicide for his future national political ambitions, because I believe he is 100% setting himself up to be running against Biden in the 2024 primary if Biden actually does run. Um i think I think polis one hundred percent is running for President of the United States right now, and he doesn't want that bill on his desk because he knows there's a lot of uh Democrats out there that are god fearing gun toting second amendment loving uh voters that would vote against him.
0: Some of them in Colorado. I mean, Colorado is a state that has a long, rich history of appreciating gun rights and hunting and the shooting sports, too. No doubt about it.
2: You bet. When, when we had the Democrats pass some pretty radical gun legislation back in 2013, the voters of Colorado recalled three of the Democrat leaders, including the president of the Senate.
0: Yeah, that was an earthquake in the political uh, sphere at that moment. That really was. I want to turn to one last issue because it's one of the major issues of our time and it gets boiled down to some simple stuff, but it's much bigger than that energy is national security, particularly in a world where tyrants like uh, Vladimir Putin use energy as a geopolitical weapon. The Biden administration is all in, regardless of whether the country's ready for it, to force a transition to electrification of our transportation system, everybody's going to have to have an EV by 2035 if you believe the current mandate, the rules. Even if people would want it someday to say, "Hey, an electric car would be cool, and it works, and I can afford it," that's great. The infrastructure in this country is so far from being able to support it. I mean, we had a parking garage collapse because it had too many electric vehicles in it; they're a lot heavier. You've got uh, charging stations, you've got grids going down, you've got people saying you can't plug your EV in at night in the neighborhood because we can't—we don't have enough electricity. The fact that there's so much upside down, even if you wanted to do this in a meaningful way, how much of a collision course to disaster is the Biden administration and these Democrats on when they're putting the cart before the horse?
2: Well, they definitely are putting the cart before the horse. Even if the American people were 100% in on it, it really, that doesn't matter. The technology is not there to be able to meet the requirements that this, you know, pipe dream that the Democrats have. That, that whether it is wind power, whether it is solar power, um, we don't have the capabilities to provide the energy. We never will have the technology to provide the energy that uh, our citizens need. And then if you go towards electric cars, which I'm a huge fan of, I love electric cars, um, love the Teslas, but um, there's no way we can put in the infrastructure to be able to meet the needs, the electrical needs, because electricity doesn't just come out of thin air you have to um dig for coal or you have to buy natural gas or or um petroleum in some fashion um to be able to to create the energy that goes into electricity that goes into these cars and right now the grid is not capable of managing that and it's going to um you know it's going to take decades and decades not just 10 years.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well put in. I use a hybrid now. I'd love to get electric cars someday, but I want to make sure the infrastructure's there. The climate scientists, this is the part that Democrats don't want to say out loud. They say the carbon footprint of an electric vehicle, by the time you take the all the work that goes into creating the batteries and the electricity, you'd have to use it for 20 years to actually reduce carbon emissions, which most people don't keep their cars for 20 years. So it seems like we've got a tough reckoning ahead of us. Ted, it's always an honor to watch what you do. Just real quickly, how can people stay in touch with all the great work you're doing?
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Of course, go to our website at stopjoe.com. You can follow us on social media at Defeat underscore Joe on on Facebook and on Twitter and on. Um, Truth Social and all of the other ones out there, and we'd love to have everybody following us. Join this this movement to uh, save our country and defeat the radical left that's trying to take over um, Washington D.C. and every state across the country. So help, go to our website, and help us out. We'd appreciate it.
0: You bet. That's an important mission. That's great to hear, Ted. Always an honor to have you on. I'm sure we'll get you on real soon again. But thanks for some great wisdom today. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. God bless. Have a great week.
0: You as well, sir. Thank you so much, folks. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages
2: accept eligible insurance and you can pay with your hsa fsa get 80 percent off your impression kit when you use code wondery at Byte.com. that's b-y-t-e.com start your confidence journey today with bite
0: man that sunset is gorgeous
2: grill patio
3: sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I've saved a special one for today's wrap up on the podcast. I am so lucky every night to get on TV and work alongside her. She's one of the greatest journalists I've ever worked with. One of the smartest thought leaders in this country. She is my amazing co-host on Just the News, No Noise, my good friend, Amanda Head. Amanda, welcome back to the show.
3: John, I think everyone knows that I'm the lucky one in working Uh, with you.
0: I disagree. I object, Your Honor. (laughs) (laughs) We just have so much fun. And it's such an amazing time to be in the news business and to begin to illuminate for the American people All the things that they've been misled about over the last six or seven years and even to today are being misled, whether it's the EV revolution, which we're not ready for, but we're going anyways to do it, or the 51 letters, that story we broke together last week, the 51 intelligence experts telling us the laptop was disinformation and it didn't come from that Biden campaign. Oh, it did actually. No, we got misled on that. The moment of uh, almost like an Alice in Wonderland America seems to be among us. Do you think Americans are tiring of this cycle of being misled and then finding out after the fact, well, they were misled?
3: I I certainly hope so. And Alice in Wonderland is such a perfect analogy because so much of what we See out of Washington, what we see out of out of culture, it it does seem like we are in an upside down world. Um, especially when you look at at the trans agenda and and some of the news stories that you hear from all over the country. I mean, it's not just blue cities; these are things that are popping up in in you know, as the Democrats would say, flyover America, middle America, the heartland, and it's affecting everybody. And so, you know, I think that we are at this inflection point where there are going to be cultural issues that turn people. And John, I know you and I spoke about this. I think it was the beginning of this year, the end of last year, folks like Bill Maher, who are really, you know, I I don't agree with Bill Maher on a lot, but he speaks common sense with respect to uh, the trans agenda. And I do wonder, I think that the trans agenda issue is, is my generation's common sense fight. I'm at the older end of of millennials, and I just, I find the temerity of this youngest generation, the fact that they think moving in this direction of gender fluidity, you know, the lack of rigidity of of two sets of chromosomes. For thousands of years, we have had two genders, but this generation, this group of kids, the generation who was eating Tide Pods six years ago, They are the anointed class. They are the enlightened generation to educate us all on the fluidity of gender. And I don't know if that inflection point is going to happen in the next few years. But what I do know, and John, you and I have talked about the research behind this and the suicide rate among the trans agenda, especially when you take the trans agenda and you bifurcate it into folks who have gone through surgery and folks who who didn't. Um, And you look at the suicide rates of those folks. And I do wonder if, you know, we're seeing these these suicide scenarios. Now, I wonder if five or 10 years from now, we are going to look back on this and see it as almost like the 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 smoking issue of 50 years ago when they were telling people that smoking was perfectly fine and and you know we are going to learn someday how damaging this was and i certainly hope that with respect to culture and the shifting narrative of politics this this is one of those issues that brings people back to sanity i certainly hope so i'm trying to be optimistic
0: there was a song many years ago saying stop the world i want to get off and i think a lot of people feel that way like i can't take it anymore please how did i get on this planet where did this planet come from as you look out over the next few weeks, there's going to be some really dramatic decisions that Congress are going to have to make about the debt ceiling, about what to do with Russia, about what to do with some of these big investigations. How do you assess the first 100, 120 days of the Kevin McCarthy era in the U.S. House?
3: I I have been pleasantly surprised with McCarthy I think that um, you know in January when we were dealing with this you know little in in party fighting as far as who was going to ultimately end up as speaker over what was it a dozen and a half rounds or so of voting I think that a lot of folks who were skeptical uh, of of Kevin McCarthy's leadership uh, they were skeptical of his commitment to the things that he said he was going to do I think a lot of people are impressed with that and look a lot of folks, a lot of naysayers, a lot of the skeptics will say, well, you know, it's not like he can do anything because Republicans don't have the Senate. What Kevin McCarthy is doing in passing the legislation that he is in, in you know, controlling the schedule and allowing for investigations on various committees and subcommittees, what he's doing with that is he is instilling, I think, a new confidence in Republicans on Capitol Hill. And even if Even if he sends legislation over to the Senate, they strike it down or it goes, you know, passes through the Senate, ends up on Joe Biden's desk and he refuses to sign it. Even if that is the case, it shows the Republican electorate that Kevin McCarthy and this class of Republicans mean business. And I don't think think that that would have been possible if it weren't for the fight that took place on the floor to determine the speakership in January. And I don't think that it would be happening without some of these firebrand freshmen congressmen who, and women who are are up there on Capitol Hill fighting for what they know their constituents want.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Presidential politics are upon us. Larry Elder's in. We had the chance to interview some of the other presidential candidates in. Vivek Ramaswamy's coming up, I think, on the show. We had Nikki Haley. DeSantis has not joined. Ron DeSantis, I would have guessed by now, he would have been in. It seems like he's had a rough six to eight weeks. How do you assess where we are in the presidential campaign and also... What's going on with Ron DeSantis? Is he the Jeb Bush of 2024, or is he, you know, just getting to see legs under him, and maybe we'll see a rebound?
3: You know, from from a political strategy side, I don't see the sense in him declaring for 2024. Um, and and I said that six weeks ago when he was doing a little bit better in the polling. I think that you know, from from a Strategic side, if he declares this time around runs against President Trump, which we've all seen the polling, President Trump, at least as of right now, is 20 to 40 points ahead of any other candidate, depending on the day and depending on the poll. I, I don't think I, I think that if, if Ron DeSantis declares this time around, not only does he not win the nomination, but then he has completely blasted his chances with the America first Trump base for 2028. I don't think he gets a second chance in 2028. So I think that, you know, I know he's got some some international travels coming up soon. Uh, and that certainly casts the notion that he's, he's exploring national politics and, and trying to get his sea legs under him, at least with respect to foreign policy. Uh, but I, I think he ought to wait. I think he should wait. I think the people advising him are likely telling him to wait um but with respect to larry elder you know i think that we'll certainly get him on the show um but he that was what september of 2021 when we had the
0: yeah the, the, the recall
3: the recall here in california and and for those who don't live here you know there were, there were two questions number one do you want to recall gavin Newsom? yes or no and if you answered yes then you went on to question number two and of the replacements Larry. Ran away with the results. I think he had close to 49% of the replacement vote. The next, the next highest person was Kevin Pathrath, who is this Silicon Valley Democrat who got less than 10%. So Larry Elder, I at this point, considering the polling, I look at everyone who declares as someone who could be a potential VP candidate, and so I wonder what you know a Trump Elder ticket would look like, or a Trump Ramaswamy, or gosh, a Trump RFK ticket, you know, that that's how I am looking at things right now until I see a significant shift in the polls. That's my purview. Everyone who declares, what would they look like as a VP candidate? And John, you know, you've worked in politics long enough to know that when you choose a VP candidate, you ideally want to bring someone over from a state that can contribute to the vote. You want to bring someone from either a blue state or a purple state. And so, you know, obviously, California is a very, very blue state. Um, But having someone like Larry Elder on there and I don't play identity politics, but having, you know, checking off the box. Uh, as as a black guy, I think is going to resonate with some people, maybe libertarians, maybe independents, people who slightly lean left. And I think that that would be an interesting ticket to see. But I think that we definitely have to get Larry Elder on the show to talk to him about it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, among your many, and there are many great successes, that you are always known as a Hollywood conservative. A lot of people have been scratching their head trying to figure out the dynamics in Hollywood over the last many years and the award shows are woke. maybe not as woke as they used to be but it seems as though Hollywood has tied itself in such a knot that they're losing money and whether it's Disney's big fall up from the battle with Ron DeSantis or some huge flops of woke movies that just didn't work not beyond Disney, it seems like Hollywood is getting a little bit of humble pie from middle America give us a little bit of the dynamic as you see it because you're on the ground there every day and you kind of watch what's going on in Tinseltown
3: <laughs> Yeah, I have a firsthand uh, eyeball on the insanity that takes place here uh, I think that the proof is in the pudding you know two days ago I think it was two days ago BuzzFeed news shuttered its doors um, and that you know was a very very um, left-leaning publication and then there was a study that was released earlier this week that found that uh, as far as late night television advertisers that ad revenue had gone down, uh 41 percent i think in the last five years it was either 40 or 41 percent in the last five years and there was a write-up about it in variety magazine and variety it took 20 paragraphs in this variety piece for them to finally admit that the reason that revenue had probably tanked was likely due to the fact that they had become so divisive with politics And you see the success of so many, you know, Jesus Revolution. Jesus Revolution was the number one grossing box office hit for Lionsgate, Lionsgate in the last five years. This is a production company that puts out hundreds of films a year. So I think that, you know, for Hollywood, ultimately, at the end of the day, they will get back around to to telling stories that matter to all people and not just catering to an agenda. But, you know, it's a, a, as as people who deal with unruly children, it's going to take a long time.
0: <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It is.
3: Because essentially, that's what Hollywood is, a bunch of unruly children. <laughs> they
0: really are. Sometimes really entitled spoiled children, too. Oh, my goodness gracious. Some of the things that go on, I go, oh, wow. Who were their parents? Gosh. So, well, Amanda, I have to say, I have so much fun. You've made TV comfortable for me. I wasn't sure that I'd be able to do the... Sit in the chair thing every day, but you make it fun. I look forward to the conversation every day. There are so many amazing things that you bring every day to the table, the wit, the wisdom, the reporting, the great questions that often, I, how many times I, I, I went back, I did this the other day, about 25 times in the last couple of weeks when we were on air interviewing someone, the guests would say, oh my God, that's a good question. They actually acknowledge a question was like unexpectedly good. You bring so much to the table. I want to ask you a question because you, you have such an amazing, rich history of where you came from, the great state of Alabama, Auburn. You have a great website, uh, Hollywood Conservative. But what drives you to want to do what you do today? The way you inform America, the way you keep us um, in the know, and also in the common sense. I, a lot of times when I'm listening and watching and smiling as you're asking a question or talking, I go, man, that's just a dose of common sense we need today. What drives you at this point? Why do you want to do the things that you do today?
3: I think that... The- the anchor, the the driving reason why I do what I do goes back to the founding of our country. Um, I when I was in in middle school and high school and college, I could not have cared less about history. Uh, but I, I I took this autodidactic approach about 10 years ago, and it was <laughs> I think you probably know Bill O'Reilly's killing England that sparked my interest in our founding in the founding of our country. And from there, you know, my love for American history just absolutely exploded. And I love looking at American history within the context of current culture. Um, One of my favorite analogies, you know, you brought up Auburn and yes, I am a dedicated Auburn fan and graduate, but I married a Canadian. So I acquired (laughs) other sports and teams. And one of the teams I acquired is the Winnipeg Jets, the hockey team. And one of their, Legendary players of the last 10 years or so was a guy named Dustin Bufflin and Dustin Bufflin was known for these uh, these moments on the ice where he would take two two players from the opposing team and smash them together on the ice. And there's this iconic story of Washington on Boston Common, where you have Daniel Morgan's riflemen on one side of Boston Common and, and the Marbleheaders of Massachusetts on one side. And they had some, some cultural discrepancies and cultural disagreements, and they went at each other. And there's this iconic moment written about in, in numerous uh, historical anthologies of that year where Washington walks to the middle of Boston Common and he takes one guy from either side and smashes them together. And it's like, we're still having to knock heads to get people to a place in this country where we can be on the same side. And so ultimately at the end of the day, it's about the posterity and the longevity of our country and what it means to the rest of the world because if America falls, the rest of the world falls. But I don't, it's not in our nature to fall because it's not in our nature to give up. That is not the American spirit. And as long as we keep fighting, as long as we don't forfeit the game, we will never lose. Yeah,
0: such an important sentiment. And I think there is a silent majority of America. They don't get covered in the mainstream media. They're not in the elitist headlines of the New York Times or the CNN newscast. But they have that tenacity to say, we're going to keep this country the good way it's been these last 246 years. And you're not wrestling it from us for some crazy woke experiment that's going to end in like. Buzzfeed, the end.
3: Right. <laughs> it's
0: pretty remarkable. It's so funny that Buzzfeed was the author of the fake steel dossier. There's almost a sweet justice in their demise and that yeah, sort of a funny moment. Amanda, I just want to say this, I love being on TV with you. I love having the conversations we have to have every day. I feel like one of the luckiest guys in journalism and I wanted to thank you for Putting up with me, and let's go make some more great television this week.
3: Well, it's not often that you find someone uh, of, of your stature in in your career who is able to cross over into uh, in, into on air talent, and you have done that seamlessly. And every night it is a joy. One one of the funniest joys for me, one of the most interesting joys for me, is when we have guests on and in the commercial break. I get to see them sing John Solomon's praises and give you glowing reviews of your journalism. (laughs) And it's wonderful for me to see. And I, I just beam every time because I am so proud to work with you. Every single day. You are an amazing journalist and you're an amazing you're an amazing human being. And not many people get to know John Solomon on a human level. So I just want everyone to know he's awesome, he's genuine and he's he's the best partner I could ask for.
0: I only have one motto too. I don't I'm not a motto guy, I'm not a very sentimental guy, but I do have one motto, you're only as good as your next story, because that's what my first boss taught me. so said, We well, have to go out and get a good story tomorrow, Amanda.
3: <laughs> I love it. I love
0: it. We will. Thanks, partner. What a great honor to have you on the show. We'll have to do this more often, but thank you so much, and I'll see you on the show in a little bit. Thank you, sir. It's hard to believe, but that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. I'm really grateful that each of you could join today. Now, one reminder, a lot of people say, hey, John, do you have an app at the Justin News? And the answer is, we sure do. And not only do we have an app, it's in the Apple Store. It's also in the Android Store. It allows you to take the Just the News experience, and go in three different ways. You can watch our videos and television shows. You can listen to this podcast and many others like it, like Victor Davis Hanson. Or you can read the stories that we do a day, 50, 60, 70 stories a day of the breaking news, investigative reporting, accountability reporting. Go to the iOS app store or the Android store today. Download the Just the News app. Read, watch, listen, three great ways to experience the Just the News content and to join the Just the News family. And if you really want to get involved with the family and say, Hey, I want to support your investigative reporting john solomon i want to support the great reporters and the producers and the bookers and everybody that works to make the just the news experience possible you can do something really inexpensive that makes a big difference all you got to do is join the just the news vip club that's right what do you get for the vip club first off ad free experience on the website and on your newsletters no ads no dancing videos no autoplay videos An ad-free experience on Just the News 24-7. Plus, once a month, you get to hang out with me at JustTheNews.com. We have a town hall. I sit and answer your questions for an hour. We talk about issues you care about. We cover topics that the other media aren't covering. It's an incredible experience to join the family The immediate family of the Just the News team. Great opportunity. Sometimes we bring in our reporters. It's always a delightful time. If you want to get involved in that, go to justthenews.com slash subscribe justthenews.com slash subscribe. Quick way to get into the club. It's 4 dollars a month, $44.99 a year. Great way to support our journalism, make a difference, and get an enormous benefit yourself. So go check it out today. All right, folks, that wraps up. John Solomon reports the podcast from Just the News. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great night. God bless this great country of the United States. Be sure to go to justthenews.com if you need that news fix. we got you covered 24-7.
4: It's amanda head and i am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast furthermore with amanda head broadcasting weekly from sunny los angeles california and brought to you by the dynamic just the news podcast network on this fresh and engaging podcast i delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist exploring the furthermore of every story but this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program i interview a diverse range of guests including business leaders entertainers musicians educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.